Hey everybody, it's Aaron here. Uh, we traditionally do this here at Mortified. Um, we're going to do a quick recap episode, uh, highlighting some of uh, our favorite uh, scenes and, and bits from the past 100, or no, I guess episodes 100 through 150. Um, but yeah, this is a this is a mortified tradition. Uh, we're we're kind of taking it easy this week. Um, next week we'll talk about uh, I believe Amina El Sarafi by Shannon Chakrabarty, uh, who did the David Bad trilogy. Um, and then uh, you know me and Leah are going to take a bit of a hiatus. Um, has nothing to do with uh, anything. Um, you know, wrong with the podcast. It's just me and Layla have a very busy next couple of months. Uh, I'm moving and going to be you know settling into a new job. And Layla's going to be trying to ship a whole video game. So uh, Mortified, well, uh, after uh, after August, um, we'll be on hiatus for about two months. And then we will be we be back, and it'll be a great time. Um, but until then, enjoy the best of the last uh, 50 episodes. Uh, I think they're they're really great. It's got a good mix of uh, bits and like great analysis that I thought we did. So uh, enjoy! Layla. Avatar Watch. Avatar Oh no! It's, it can't be! It's been so soon! I will fly with you. Hi, welcome everybody to, uh... <laughs> welcome, welcome to Avatar Watch. Um, our segment, uh, within our podcast where we talk about James Cameron's Avatar, namely Way of the Water, which is an impending threat looming over us. <laughs> um, yeah, it is impending and it is a threat. <laughs> So let's talk about what we found out this week, um, which is that Sigourney Weaver, who died in the original 2009 James Cameron Avatar, she died. Sigourney sure Weaver, did. who is a woman of some age, um, is coming back aboard the Avatar franchise to play Neytiri and Jake Sully's teenage daughter, Kiri. Teen daughter! She's I mean, like, listen, I love Sigourney Weaver. I think she's a remarkable her. actress. Remarkable. This is a choice. This is a choice. And she basically, in an interview, she said, well, um, I still remember what it's like to feel awkward and out of place. So I'm just grateful to James Cameron for giving me the opportunity to explore this side of my acting. How old do you think Sigourney Weaver is? Uh, She's in her 60s, 70s, early 70s, 73. She is 72 years old. (laughs) Look at me with the guessing. Um, listen, we love that for Miss Weaver. We love that she does get to explore her, you know, the times when she's felt uncomfortable. Um, it is a choice to make her play a biracial (laughs) alien teen. Yes, named Kiri. Um, and people, I saw some speculation online that because she has eyebrows, like, uh, like all the human-made Navi do, uh, she's like some sort of... I don't know. He may- she's their adoptive daughter. I think that's very important to mention. Oh, she's their- so she's not genetically related to. She's not hmm. fake Navi plus real Navi hybrid. Ah, oh, damn it! All right, there's got to be one of them in there. We, I'm, I can't. The speculation is gonna kill me until we get the weird reveal in two months. That's like, okay, so Jake is sterile, straight up. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, this movie's literally... I And the, the worst part was I saw this 
Jenny Nicholson retweeted this, and it just all she tweeted was "she what," and I was like, <laughs> "What?" And I clicked into it, and it was that article. And then Aaron didn't respond to me for thirty minutes. <laughs> I lost my mind. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, no. Anyway, Avatar: Way of Water coming this December. Uh, we are going to find a way to watch that somehow, and you all will never stop hearing about it ever again. Okay, now let's talk about Kuroko's <laughs> basketball. Here we get into the the character, the what the characters with most character, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Kuroko is maybe my favorite out of all of the characters we've seen today because of the way he's implemented. It, it, it is very different from a standard anime protagonist. I have never seen a sports anime protagonist be implemented as the side character. that's exactly it right because like kuroko right we talked about it his whole thing is that he is so shitty and bad at basketball that nobody notices he's there uh and so he can sneak up on you (laughs) that's why they call him the phantom he's really good at passing that's just what he only passes special talent is passing really good (laughs) passing really good and being really quiet Subasa is doing full bicycle <laughs> kicks by episode two. Kuroko's just like, whew, go get him. Go get him, Kagami. <laughs> Kuroko, I think my favorite move that he does is he, like, takes a shot and purposefully misses it so that Kagami can, like, pick it up and dunk it. Incroyable. Yeah, no. His special ability is assist. Um, if we compare him to uh, uh, our, our good, good boy uh, from from Haikyuu, right? Because he's he's so good at volleyball. He tries so mm-hmm. hard and works so mm-hmm. hard at volleyball. He's so good. Everyone's like, wow, damn, that shorty's really good. He can really fly. It is the complete opposite reaction from every character about Kuroko because everyone's like, wow, he's really fucking terrible at basketball, actually. Yes. I'm shocked <laughs> we're winning because of him. Yeah, the, we'll talk about the coach, but the coach is like, wow, this kid's already peaked and his his stats are terrible. Um, but yeah, incredible. But like, he is 100% a side character. He is implemented in a way that like, he he's always the, the, the straight man to Kagami, who is the big, you know, athletic American um, who is reacting to him. Like, it's always Kagami who is coming into the shot and then Kuroko just appearing there and Kagami being like, what the fuck, dude? You gotta make more noise. Right, and the big change in episode three... The big change in episode three is Kagami dragging Kuroko into the shot. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, get over here, idiot. Um, yeah, I, it, I tr- it could really truly be a, a Sixth Sense thing where he is just dead the whole time and he's just been Kagami's special friend. I would believe it. Honestly, like, the the whole first episode and a half, it's it's completely dubious as to whether this child is a ghost or not. It's so funny. It, it really, because, like, when he signs up for the team, um, uh, Coach Ida's like, I didn't, I didn't know that somebody, I would have thought that one of the, you know, members of the, the Generation of Miracles, I would have talked to them, but he, it just, his signature just appeared. Uh, the lights started flickering. I don't understand. And then he's, you know, all the other five members got interviewed for, for a basketball magazine and all the teammates are like flipping through it. They're like, ah, where's Kuroko's interview? And they're like, oh, Kuroko, they didn't interview you? He's like, no, they did. They just forgot to put it in. <laughs> they did. <laughs> he's the, the most wet of a man he's great i love him he's my favorite protagonist out of out of all of these he rules oh absolutely uh 
the opposite of wet dog, however, is our buddy Kagami. Mm-hmm. Literally Taiga. Uh, Taiga Kagami. Yep, um, literally a tiger. Uh, you can tell he's from America because and sometimes in the English dub, his voice actor sounds like uh, Joey Wheeler. Hey, you! <laughs> hey, Kuroko! You trying to play... Okay. <laughs> When he is, I'm going to, this is where I show Layla my thing, and you're going to have to edit this in post, Layla. Oh boy, I can't uh, wait. But I'm going to show you um, my favorite thing that he says um, when Kuroko is challenging him to a game of the good old basketball. Shit. That kid still has me on edge. Did I steal? So high. Nothing can stop Kagami now. You douche. <laughs> <laughs> That delivery of you douche is the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Uh, The Rock's back. Yeah, I mean, he's big and rockier than ever. Um, So you did have a note (coughs) in your, uh, when you were taking notes on this, uh, this film. I do want you to just um, explain yourself to me and our audience. So do you do you remember what the note was? Because I, I remember. fucked the rock. Like okay. I'm sorry, it's true. I was looking at him. It was it was. What did he say? He was talking to Gina Carrero, and he said, uh, "With an ass like that and brains, woman, soon I'm gonna be out of a job." And I was like, "Ooh, that's missing true. That's the kind of misogyny that I'd fuck." Is the problem, Layla? We've had this conversation so many times. Your standards for men are so bad. (laughs) It worked on me. I don't know what to tell. Listen! You have to to cut this out of this episode now. (laughs) This episode's ruined because somebody's going to be like, oh, yes, finally. If I just neg someone enough, it'll work. Just like The Rock. You have to be shaped like The Rock. There's only one rock. <laughs> That's true. You have they. So the conceit of this film is that like the Shaw's team is basically the evil versions of the the family, and the version of the Rock they have is just like a huge mountain of a man. Um, and like it really does put in perspective like how few people can you know physically compare to Dwayne Johnson. Right. It's, uh, as as uh, Taz Shadow in his phone, Samoan Thor. Who is <laughs> yes. Incredible. Okay. 100%. So here's here's the line I will draw for our listeners. Um, it you it the, the Rock in this movie Hobbs Hobbs has a vibe of um being kind of an old school guy who thinks that being a misogynist is a compliment. And mm-hmm. with that intent, he's still fuckable. You can't neg a bitch. But if you're trying to compliment her and you're just doing it wrong and you look like The Rock. Mm. Mm. Uh, listen, my standards are exceptionally low, but like exceptions can can be made. I'm not, thing- you know, like fuck, Mary kill The Rock, Vin Diesel, uh, Paul Walker, Mary Paul Walker, fuck The Rock, kill Vin Diesel, like. That's just wow. Okay, brutal. <laughs> Sorry, Vin. <laughs> uh, the thing I can't. I get hung up on the mechanics of making love with the Rock. Right? He's just. I don't think that he would be very gentle. Um, his name is literally the Rock. There are. Uh, s- we need to move on. There are some things you don't need to know about me. Move on. Okay, move on. Move on. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Uh, 
you know, is, is nice to see, especially because of the ways in which this franchise has historically been like, we're going to put women at peril, um, rip to Elena, <laughs> notably, uh, from the last fashion movie we watched. Um, so it is kind of nice to watch Hattie just like kind of progress the plot all on her own while the, her brother and her, you know, maybe love interest kind of fumble along her beside brother her. her brother-in-law. Okay. Like, listen, th- this movie, they tr- they give The Rock and uh, Hattie some like standalone kind of like pseudo romantic scenes they don't read as effectively as the Hobbs and Shaw banter they just don't no that's the issue right this is when this is the problem of all you know uh, of all all um, media that has two boys and a girl uh, but the media is really about the two boys is that because you focus on the two boys this is your essay this is your word again again you you deserve a fucking Nobel Prize for you wrote it gay because of the amount of times that I keep referencing it uh, because I think it is so true that when you don't flesh out your woman character enough, you make it you make it about a, a love interest. You make them the rivals gay for each other because you introduce the like you introduce the um like dynamic of or the idea of romance, right? Like if if you mm-hmm. just made all three of them like buddy cops, I think it would read differently, right? You you'd have less to read into. But mm-hmm. because they introduce the idea of romance, I'm like, mm, no, you've put it on the brains now, and that's why there's a half a million words on AO3 about these two very large men. Is Hobson's shot secretly the biggest queer blockbuster of 2019? Uh, I do think so, yes. Uh, based on the sheer amount of fan fiction that you found for this <laughs> film, I don't. I think you might be onto something there. Uh, can you can you explain more about that line of thinking? Yeah. So I mean, listen, uh, internet internet people, uh, the denizens of Ao3, they don't need a ton of reason to write fan fiction. Um, I do think they need some reason to get into the the weeds like they have with Hobbs and Shaw. So here's some some sexy statistics for you. Um, there are a total of 238 fics uh, on ho- archiveofourown.org uh, for the pairing of Hobbs and Shaw. Um, the one with the most likes, ha- kudos, has uh, 1,008 kudos, which isn't like... It's a lot, but it's not record-breaking. 462 comments, pretty fucking dense. Uh, is That's the one that's been the most commented on. The one that really piqued my interest is um, the one that has an explicit rating and is sitting pretty at 500,000 words and is also not over. 569,000 words, closer to 570. Like, let me be clear. So I am like somebody who is a professional writer. Um, I've been writing, trying to be writing for publication since 2018. I've written maybe 250,000 words, uh, may- maybe 300,000. This person in their Hobbs and Shaw gay porn fanfic has eclipsed me in their writing output by about 40%. By, and this fic includes, I will say, original characters of this author's creation, which is excellent extra, extra effort they've put in. And also is tagged, what have I done? I'm going to hell. Threesome, foursome, fivesome, moresome, which is a level of mental planning 
for sex scenes that I don't think... I don't think I could achieve and I live in spreadsheets for a living. I was going to say, you're going to need some sort of, like, pipeline planning system to arrange that logistics around that five sum. That's too many people's schedules to juggle. Uh, and then 49 of the 200 and uh, some, what did I say, 238 total fix are porn. Um, they might have some plot, but they involve explicit sexual encounters. That's, by the way, not counting the ones rated mature who could also have some pretty steamy sexual encounters. That's just explicit works. Um, and then there, there's one I want to highlight. Well, there's a couple I want to highlight. Uh-huh. But basically, there is this trend I've noticed in Hobbes and Shaw fanfiction of the ABO dynamic, the alpha, beta, omega uh-huh. dynamic. And... Um, Listen, y'all do you. I do just think it's very funny because they do involve things like nodding and heat cycles. You know, typical fanfic shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't know ABO dynamics, um, yeah, it's listen. It's a fascinating. It's a fascinating little subsection of literature, uh, and you should at least know about it um, just for funsies and just to be a more involved denizen of the internet. Now, you know who is hot? <laughs> no, I don't. Let's talk about the OG, the original, the one and only Onceler. Aaron, have you ever seen the movie The Lorax? No. <laughs> okay, you have. I have. Nope. Okay, you have, really. I have. I've seen. Yeah, it was Under like on what TV. conditions? <laughs> who made you just, watch The Lorax? I was. It was like back when I was living with my mom, and like we had satellite TV, and it was just on, and there was nothing else to watch. Sure. And I just, you know, I liked animated movies now, and I still do. And I was like, okay, I'll watch The Lorax. I thought it was fine. It was. I didn't find it particularly memorable, and I certainly didn't think Twink Monopoly was sexy. <laughs> Here's the thing about the Onceler. So Sarah Zed did a 40-minute video about the history of the Onceler and Tumblr Sexy Men and, like, why the Onceler fandom became the way that it was. And I I do find I'm a history nerd. Um, I like I like understanding the ways in which um, events in the past shape events in the future and why people acted the way they did in the past. And I think that the history of the Onceler is fascinating. And I just really, really find it, it tickles me in a weird way that the Onceler is just the archetypical Tumblr sexy man. Because, like, he's just a guy. (laughs) He's just a guy. He's, like, a little evil, but, like, in a capitalist way, which makes it weirder still you're right i mean he is just like the monopoly man but like in his 20s yeah it's bonkers and like i don't know like i if i'm listen i'm like really stretching the imagination right now like i guess you know if we really think about it like yeah he sings he's kind of evil he wears his little top hat and he plays his guitar and I guess, like, yeah, in on any other character, I guess I could maybe see how that could be attractive, sort of. But the fucking Onceler? Like... <laughs> That's why it's so good, right? It's because it's so fucking about... bonkers. It's a Dr. Seuss book! 
But we're not even talking about whether it's good. Aaron, when you look at Twink Monopoly, when you look at that little fucking green bean in a top hat, do you find it sexy? Not at all. <laughs> he looks like a kid from my high school that would want to cheat off my math homework. But like, he looks like he has an instant fucking internship on Wall Street after the movie's done shooting. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. But like, I think it's so funny that this is the guy. Like, I, this is one cest, right? Like shipping the Wunsler with himself because there's no other characters unless you want him to fuck the Lorax which is really really good and you who whoever out there is shipping the Wunsler with the lorax um is braver than any united states marine so no, that's that's 100 percent correct that's like, really good yeah i listen i appreciate the fervor of the Wunsler fandom but i will say i am at odds with you i i disagree i don't understand i'm happy for you i think you guys should continue making wild you know, sub slurs that fuck each other. I think that's very good. But like, you know, I'm happy being a passive observer um, and fully not understanding any of it at all whatsoever. Um, so I would like to, I would like to say the Wunsler, not hot. Hmm, we'll have to agree to disagree. Um, let's well, talk. No, okay, in our <laughs> opinion, I'm not talking about whether or not you find it funny that. <laughs> other people think he's hot do you when you look at that twink (laughs) do you go yeah i get it listen 2012 was a difficult time for the united states of america uh macklemore was ascendant i I hate you (laughs) (laughs) listen what else was happening in 2012 i don't remember i was depressed and in a senior in high school um but like uh I see why people think he's attractive because young teenagers are horny and they love skinny white men. <laughs> and but like, do you do you find him attractive? I no, in no way. <laughs> okay, then not hot. Moving on. Okay, sure, whatever. Bill? Like, you know, like oh, daddy, I didn't give. I I used my wish to wish for your happiness aka you need to get married um and like even at the end where you know she's on tv giving the speech and av's just like hey dad i know you wanted you were into that girl did you tell her and and he's like well no i guess i didn't she's like you fucking idiot you complete moron you hitch up that one horse open sleigh right now we are going down to the resort i'm not going to spend another christmas motherless do you hear me like extremely funny that that was truly the vibe she is determined to get uh to get a mom she and alejandra unfortunately alejandra it's uh, talk about a star of this film tad (laughs) absolutely but when tad's not on screen you know who is alejandra and i love every moment she is tearful she is motherly she bought Lindsay Lohan a fuck me dress. Or sorry, mm-hmm. a freakum dress. Beyonce, I should have used your word first. Mm-hmm. She bought she bought Lindsay Lohan a freakum dress. Yeah, she's like, listen, my son-in-law, after my, my daughter passed, my son-in-law has been very sad. And he's been having a little bit of a dry spell, if we're being honest. And it's making him a little moody. Could you help him out? Could you help a brother out for a second? Yeah, and she buys Lindsay Lohan this, like, hot red scalloped mini dress, which, like, when I saw, I was like, I kind of want a hot red scalloped mini dress, <laughs> but then I realized I'm a homebody that doesn't go anywhere, so I don't, like, where would I wear it? 
Um, I just bought a black midi dress and it's sitting, sitting, sitting in my closet. So, you know what I mean? Um, but she looked great. Uh, and Alejandra, like, I feel like at every turn, there, there's an alternate cut of this movie where Alejandra is just keeping track of Sarah's movements and is just like positioning herself to be like emotionally vulnerable because Sarah walks in on her looking through that memory book. Right, like, I could right. See this that is, being a, a this is entirely staged, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you if we had seen that shot five minutes earlier, she'd be like checking her phone and be like, "Okay, let me just open to the right page and let me get the eye drops in and go." Oh, Mija, I'm so sorry. I just <laughs> since my daughter passed, like. Well, because they sit there and she's like, Lindsay Lohan's like, "Oh my God, your daughter was so beautiful." Alejandra grabs her face and it's like, "You're beautiful." <laughs> so funny like extremely <laughs> like you know this this is extremely like immigrant mom vibes <laughs> like oh uh, yeah there, there isn't a type of like um mom who is who is like this um and i just i love it alejandra's great i think you and i both have one <laughs> my mom is thankfully a little more cloaked about it but still oh yeah mine yeah same uh mine's cloaked but when it comes out it really fucking comes out you know what i mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um Uh, at dinner, Topher Grace and Anne Hathaway uh, get into a fight when Topher Grace learns she's been ditching him to work a phone sex line. He's just a little guy from Indiana. This is overwhelming him. Uh, and he fucks off on the street, basically. I, I don't like the portrayal of how people from Indiana are a bunch of fucking idiot losers like Topher Grace. <laughs> he is from Muncie, which you seem to he have He is from deep- Muncie, which, listen... You can't. He has an IU like pennant or flag on his on his like room, uh, but he's from Muncie, which means that he actually probably went to Ball State uh, and just wanted a better uh, basketball team. Ball and State, you know what? Sent me so many flyers when I was applying. Did they really? For oh yeah. Really? Ball huh. State want to be bad. Mm, listen, you're too good for Ball State. Thank you. Listen, if you if you are an alum of Ball State, I'm sorry to dunk on your alma mater. If it's any. Uh, if it's any consolation, I also hate IU, <laughs> and, and, and I went and I graduated from there. So yeah, I hate RIT, and I graduated from there. So you're you're in good company. <laughs> Academia, woo. woo! Keep in mind, there's Alaskan vampires here. One of them uh, has the power of taser. Um, but basically, uh, Jacob actually has like takes off when he gets the invitation. Um, like he gets, he goes really up, he gets really upset and like disappears into the woods, but Edward tracked him down somehow. Um, and Jacob comes to their reception is able to, you know, say goodbye one last time. And they start talking about the honeymoon. Um, and she's like, oh, well, I'm not going to change like during the honeymoon. Cause you know, the vampiric process is like very painful. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna, I'm going to be a human while we go on our honeymoon. And he's like, wait. They don't ever say the word fuck, but, like, he's like, oh, you're gonna fuck while he's a vampire and you're a human. And she's like, yeah, why? And he's like, that'll kill you, dog. Uh, And she's like, no, it won't. Uh, It'll be fine. Um, And it's very funny that that's the conflict. But anyway, Jacob's like, whatever, fuck you all. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Um, He sure would like to fuck them all. Yeah, I bet that's true. Um, Check out my fanfic. That's at (laughs) archiveofverone.biz. Um... Anyway, the reception ends, and Bella is taken on a surprise honeymoon. Hey, another uh, wedding planning tip. You don't... You do You do have to tell your partner where you're going on your honeymoon. Um, it's real bad. F- furthermore, 
Don't surprise your partner by going to the city where you hid for a year while you were trying to break up with them. Uh, They go to Rio de Janeiro, the place that Edward canonically was hiding in New Moon because he tried to dump Bella. Um, But then when he learned that Bella, quote unquote, had died, um, he tries to kill himself uh, after, you know, I don't know. He goes to Italy to kill himself, which is very stupid, but whatever. Um, Anyway bad bad timing all around it's a wild choice but they're not actually staying in rio they're going to the private island uh it's island it's isle uh, esme right it's named after the mom mm-hmm. um and they have a their private house there and it's great and we get the sex scene um we finally get a twilight sex scene um i'm not like a connoisseur of sex scenes or anything um i, I thought it was extremely restrained um, I mean, it's a book written by a Mormon lady in which, uh, vampirism is kind of an allegory for virginity. Um, the whole thing is like, you shouldn't fuck till you're married. That's kind of the whole point of the books. Um, so naturally the sex is very normy, very gentle, very restrained. Yes, a bed gets broken, but I mean, during the... Listen, not to be blue, but the gentlest, slowest thrusting ever put on screen. Um, and then a couple days into their fuck fest, uh, Edward shows Bella that she has, like, bruise fingerprints on her. Fellas, listen, I've read a lot of fanfiction in my time. Okay. Um, let me tell you. I've not approved anything my co-host is about to say. I just want that to be straight. <laughs> okay, before let's that, just, whatever happens. Um, there is a plurality of people out there who would find getting a little banged up during sex pretty pretty hot. Um, there are also people who are paper white like Bella that bruise easier than you think they might. Um, just to have Edward treating some light bruising as spousal abuse when I know for a fact that that's a uh, feature, not a bug for a lot of people is very funny to observe. Yes. Right. Like th- that, this, which is like a, like, like the level, like the one Oh one kink zone, right. Is like, so not terrifying. Even, it's not even a kink. The, right. The most normal live, laugh, love housewife who has a subscription to HBO would get a couple of glasses in her and could tell you she'd like to get tossed around in bed a little bit more. Okay. That is the level we are, we're operating at. Um, (laughs) This has not even entered the kink zone. So. I, the, the character arc of Ginger and Rocky, part of that is Ginger learning that being this like self flagellating hard truth, only reality kind of leader doesn't work. And the other half of that is Rocky learning that only telling people what they want to hear and never doing anything scary or difficult ever in his life is also not the way to go. And they meet in the middle, which is a very weird and nuanced and atypical character arc for two protagonists from children's movies to go through. Yeah, it's definitely uh, an interesting exercise in storytelling. I think this still does like pretty standard chicken or not chicken uh, children's uh, film um, like storytelling, which is like there's a there's a romance arc. They obviously get together in the end. Like eh. 
it's a little bit boring and and pat but like yeah I do think that this is like it is at least trying something and like the character isn't like oh you have to learn to believe in yourself it's like hey you're too hard on yourself and others and maybe you need to chill a little bit and like you know that's certainly a lesson I think the hosts of this podcast could internalize a little bit more as time goes on anyway uh (laughs) moving on Uh, for I so if you, if you don't have a marketing minute, do you have one? Okay, yes, please. So, uh, if you were to give this kind of like gritty, bonkers parallel universe treatment to any like classic game that doesn't have much of a plot normally, uh, what do you what do you think you'd you'd go for? Uh, I'd go Frogger. Yes, I'd go I've... Frogger Naruto crossover. Okay, let me make sure that this is the right one that I'm thinking of. Um, yes. Okay, I am going to. We're going to watch this together. Uh, this is a YouTube video that came out 12 years ago. It's called Pokemon: A Pokelips uh, Live Action Trailer. Um. I'm going to share this and we're going to well, actually I'm going to we'll, we'll drop this in in the show notes but I'm going to we're just going to show I'm going to share my screen we're going to watch this together. Okay, we'll we'll be back in after this fucking video, I guess. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Man, that 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 trailer I hadn't watched that trailer in 12 years. Um, that was a little bit more intense than I remember, but, um, that's my answer. Okay, so what we just watched was a gritty live action with just shocking production value, I think, trailer for, like, what if Ash Ketchum and Pikachu were in some, like, underground Pokemon fighting ring? And it was, it was basically, like, a gritty mafia, there were guns, there were so many guns give team rocket more guns is what i'm saying give me alpha like a semi-automatic what are we doing uh yes so that's pokemon a pokelips you can find that on the mega steak man youtube channel but i remember seeing this in like 2010 this was back when uh dorkly which was i think a college humor um like spinoff website i used to read a lot that was like my first games news website but i remember reading that on that website and watching this and being like whoa this is cool and um, that that has just been in the back of my brain. Ian, you know, obviously Detective Pikachu came out and had like some some of that, but not quite the intensity. And so my answer to your question is, I would just you know make that movie because I think I think we need more we need the grittiest possible Pokemon <laughs> imaginable. Okay, awesome. You see, you've seen those like there's this one game going around that's just like Pokemon, but they just have guns, right? Have you heard of this? Fucking what? Oh my god, this is- I'm gonna drop another <laughs> fucking trailer. Oh my Christ, Layla. Uh, this is... Pal World Gameplay Moments trailer 22.5 from Pocket Pair. Uh, I'm gonna show this to Layla. Man, I am just showing you the most cursed Pokemon content today, huh? Yeah. Um, this is Pal World. Why are there guns? Uh, it is literally, truly just a Pokemon game with guns. Um, oh, it has a minigun. Excellent. Great. Um, 
that is Power World, which I believe is how has been released. It may it may be in early access, but uh, why does it have guts? That's a real game you can play now. <laughs> um, okay, fascinating. Um, <laughs> well, sure is something. I I don't know if you caught what I said at the beginning, but I would do a Frogger X Naruto crossover. Um, because there is in Naruto the frog yes, dimension. There, there is the frog dimension. Okay. So I think that a great run, like a maybe an, a movie or like a great run of filler you could do, is just the grittiest noir of trying to get some sort of frog from the frog dimension across the frog road i suppose across the road yes and it, it's very much like gamabunta is like you know bequeathing a young frog his sword and like they have to like split cars in half and shit yeah no that, yeah. that would be great uh, that would see the thing about naruto filler is that it's <laughs> notoriously bad but it could fucking own it could fucking own thing. if they'd let me do it um so <sighs> I want to talk about why this game is so important and, and like kind of try to get listeners to think about, you know, I don't know how many people listen to our podcast. I, I don't know how 30. many people. Oh, shit. Wow. That's way more than I thought. Um, yeah. Hey, thanks. welcome, guys. Thanks for slowly over <laughs> every year we get 10. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate it. Um, well, well, I don't know how many of, of all 30 of you um, were like plugged into the gaming scene in 2013, but I kind of want to like. Uh, so I don't know how much research you've done, Layla, but I've got some stats up. Um, Layla, what do you think the best-selling video game of 2013 was? Just off the dome. Off the dome? I don't know what came out in 2013. Was it a Call of Duty? Close. So number two is Call of Duty Ghosts, a game nice. that no one has ever thought about after 2013. <laughs> nope. Um, There's too I'll, many of them. I'll tell you, the the best-selling game of 2013 is probably still best-selling. Um, it might be one of the best-selling. It's actually, I know this because I looked this up. It's the sec- be- second best-selling like console game of all time next to Minecraft. So it's not Minecraft. S- Sims? No. no. Is it a shooter? I don't know It is shooters. a shooter. It's, it's, it is a third-person shooter. Okay. It's Grand Theft Auto V. Ah, you should have said Rockstar. I would have gone if you said Rockstar. I was, I was, I didn't want to give, that'll take, that'd give it away though. Um, okay, fair enough, King. And like, the fact that like, right, Grand Theft Auto V, a game that like is still pumping out money for Rockstar 10 years later, like a thing that like, they just don't want to make more Grand Theft Autos because, you know, <laughs> right, like eventually, you know, it is it is, it is more profitable for Rockstar to just keep pumping up the multiplayer for five than to like make a new Grand Theft Auto. That might not be one hundred percent true, but you know, there's a reason there's a like ten year gap between this game and 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 six. But um, and like that that is the kind of e- ecosystem. The top five best selling games in twenty thirteen were Grand Theft Auto Five, Call of Duty Ghosts, FIFA twenty fourteen, Battlefield four, and Pokemon X and Y. Um, which like. You know, if you think about video games, right, those are video game ass video games. It's like, well, you got you got the Grand Theft Auto, which is the, you know, a murder simulator, right? It lets, gives you the ability to, to murder people for fun um, in, in, in inventive ways. And that's not a knock. I played Grand Theft Auto in 2013. And I, I played it for a long, long time. Um, there's number there's Call of Duty Ghosts, right? Obviously part of the shooter genre, the, the long standing shooter, you know, or most profitable shooter, you know, of the last 10 years, right? There's a there's a soccer simulator, there's fucking Battlefield, because who the fuck knows, and Pokemon, right? Like, 
And, and when you think about the verbs of those games, the things that they're asking you to do, it's like, you know, shoot, drive, score, war crimes, <laughs> capture Pokemon, right? Like, Gone Home is so fundamentally different from all of those in the ways in which it wants you to interact with the world that, like, I, it really was, like, an, a novel thing. Yeah, uh, for sure. I And again, like, it's just one of those things where it's, I... <sighs> I don't know what kind of person I would have been if I, like, had found this at the time, you know? Like, because now, again, you play so many walking simulators, there's such like, I mean, there, there's a title for it now, right? A name for the genre of walking right. simulator. Right. You have things like Edith Finch. You have things like Journey and Abzu and um, Kentucky Roots. Like, there's so many now. And so playing this, it's like a fun look back into the past and like what kicked all this off but you know i i it's it's like learning uh it's like learning a snapple fact right 100 percent. right it's like oh huh that's that's kind of nice yeah, um, and Which like, is not to not to discount the impact of this no. it's just like the experience of playing it 10 years after intended right like right. it's another artifact of its time right um, and, I, and I think to also help put in context, like, why it was important for a game to, like, you know, get a lot of, like, accolades, right, like this, was because, it, you know, one of the very first, you know, games that got big that had, you know, a queer storyline in it, um, you know, and, like, you to, to put that in context, right, the big story well, that's game... that's incorrect. That's Metal Gear Solid. Okay, we'll listen. <laughs> Love can bloom on the battlefield, but... Um, <laughs> This one was very more explicit about its uh, uh, homosexual um, stories, but um, mm -hmm. uh, I want to say, like, right, so the big uh, quote-unquote story art game of 2013 was actually probably The Last of Us, right? Um, and, like, if you think about the ways in which The Last of Us franchise has gone fully into, you know, being like, oh, yeah, this is a story about queer people now, it's, and like, when that was certainly not the case in, in 2013, um right when we get you know last of us 2 is about you know two two queer girls getting together um and, and even in the the last of us tv show right there's a the famous you know episode at least when when it was airing that everybody's like oh this is a story about two gay men um you know i haven't seen it i'm sure it's good um but Nick like offerman isn't it right right exactly and it's just like i can't believe that like you know this this story like must have been so important for people 10 years ago and like it's kind of nice that now it's just kind of like this is boring um because i think like that's kind of the mark of like when you have a genre has made it like obviously there are still chuds and homophobes out there who are like you know i, I don't want any of these politics or gay people in my video games um but um there's um you know it's just kind of nice to be like yes finally we get so many of these stories that they're they're passe Mm. Layla, you have just put on a pair of sunglasses <laughs> that makes you look like a, the leader of the Squirtle Squad. Uh, <laughs> is that oh, relevant no. to the story at all? Um, no, I just. Do you ever you ever let the intrusive thoughts win? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what? No, just I had an impulse to put them on. I don't okay. know how to tell you this anyway but i do think it sets the mood for what i'm about to say sure <laughs> which is, which is... interesting uh, i i just want to like take a second i don't think we've ever talked about the stupid argument of like people being like oh it will politics my video games here's no. the problem all art is political games are art and they are art primarily because they are made by people if a work is made by a human being 
It has, it therefore carries the worldview of that human being. Maybe not intentionally, maybe not, uh, you know, like explicitly, but at the very least it says, hey, here's what I find fun. Here's what I find compelling. Uh, and then you as an audience member get to react to that. The other thing is that everyone has biases. And unfortunately, when you are an oppressed person or a, a person in the minority of some group, uh, even if your day-to-day -day is fine, uh, your existence becomes political, whether you like it or not, because other people have made it so. I don't want to be politics. I don't like it. I'm just a little guy. I was born and put on this earth to eat berries and vibe, and no one will fucking let me do that. Um, because someone else decided that the way I am or the way I live is incorrect based on arbitrary fucking guidelines I did not have a say in. Um, so all art is politics. And if I hear somebody being like, oh, I don't want this political woke horseshit. Your your games have always had politics. It's just politics you agree with, so you never noticed it. Right. If you think Grand Theft Auto Five doesn't have politics, you're out of your fucking mind. That you're game is extraordinarily board, extraordinarily political. Your board uh, <laughs> has been left fucking behind. If you don't think, or MGS that I brought up earlier, mm -hmm. Hideo Kojima is the most political game designer like that is well known on the planet. Just because it's <laughs> Japanese politics and you're not fucking picking up on. It don't me I really do look like a member of the Squirtle Squirtle. Yeah, you really do. <laughs> I'll take a picture and post it on Twitter later. It's really anyway, good. Uh, they're great glasses. Um, but anyway, so um, it's yeah, it's this uh, is get get that's. I, listen, I don't think anyone who listens to this podcast has that opinion. No, because we are who we are. But if anyone else around you tells you that horse shit, I have just given you ammo. Go right. forth, fight the good fight. I have been in a, uh, uh, my mother and I, uh, in our native tongue, call it a depression psychotism, which loosely translates to, uh, like a psychodepressive episode, basically, but it has, like, a, com a comical tilt to it, um, and, uh, I, uh, I, I've really been trying to, as I'm, like, recovering from deep, deep burnout, uh, reconnect with the things that I really, really loved and the things that, uh, made me want to start drawing in the first place which in my case is anime and jrpgs like that is why i picked up a pencil when i was a child uh so i am we're currently working my way backwards uh i've taken a little pause uh because i'm prepping for the breath of the wild sequel and the elden ring dlc and replaying those games uh but i'm working my way backwards through the uh final fantasies 10 and back uh so i did 10 and 10 2 uh next one is 9 uh, and when I, when I, 10-2 is the one that changed my brain chemistry when I was a child. Uh, I never got to finish it because I was bad at video games at the time. And actually, this is a fun little anecdote that'll tell you everything you ever need to know about me. Uh, but I, gr I did so much grinding in 10-2 as a kid that I hit a level cap and I didn't understand that you could cap. Like, I, that didn't cross my mind. So I thought my game was broken and I never finished it. Uh, huh. Yeah. <laughs> Just grinding dress spheres for hours. So, uh, 
yeah, so um, I realized I played 10-2 with no context, which I really think opened my heart to the concept of being confused by Kingdom Hearts all the time. Yeah. Uh, I realized I'd never played 10, so I finally played 10 for the first time, and I'm different now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I cannot believe that you played Final Fantasy X for the first time in the year of our Lord, 2022-2023. But aren't you glad that I did? <laughs> yeah, no, because it's like... So this is a... Uh, my introduction to Final Fantasy X is very strange. Um, when I was like 11 years old, my parents got the wild idea to host um, like a foreign exchange student um at my house and this guy bernie from germany came over and he was kind of a dick um he kind of sucked um but he did introduce me to final fantasy 10 um and like i would watch him like play it um and like i i just have like a lot of memories because you know it's it's a it's and he like maxed out the game like got everyone's legendary weapons like did all the shit like 100 of it so like you know I, I watched him play for like you know dozens upon dozens probably over 100 hours um but, like, I remember watching him play, and, like, it was just, all of it was so enthralling and captivating. I was just, like, so entranced by this game that, like, it, even though I never actually played it, it really stuck in my in my head for, like, years until um, 10 years later. Uh, I, you know, it was in college, and I got it, you know, on a whim. I got, actually, I emulated it um, on, my, on my PC, and... Um, I I loved it so much and it like I remembered how much I, I cared about it that I on my twenty first birthday I got really drunk and I started singing the hymn of the faith uh, and my wife um, then girlfriend had to keep locking me in the bathroom because I was just drunkenly singing the hymn of the faith and threatening to throw up um, but yeah no Final Fantasy ten like even like today like or you know not today but like currently as, as i like submit books to be you know potentially published um to my agent like i'm just like oh i probably should have just this this final fantasy at 10 has more in common with the book that i just wrote than like you know any other one piece of media and it's just like i it is like almost embarrassing to the degree that this this game has like affected me <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean like i played it a month ago and it was one of those moments for me where I was like, oh, right, this is why I love video games so much. This mm -hmm. is, like, this is the point of making a narrative interactive. Uh, it's it's truly enthralling, and she was before her time, uh, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get into why, a um, couple reasons why uh, maybe this game didn't take off the way the rest of the franchise has. Um, we, we've, we've done some light speculating on this privately that we can revisit. Yeah, I, I mean, we can, but, like, the fact of the matter is, like, I, I went back and reviewed it. It reviewed very well, it was received very well, but, like, it just didn't have the same cultural impact as some of its contemporaries, which is a fucking shame. Yeah, it's like the inverse of James Cameron's Avatar, which is to say it's a really good thing that had no cultural yes, impact. Yes, exactly. Thank you for sending me all the, the full store shelves full of <laughs> Avatar toys that no child will touch with a 10-foot whale bone. You're so welcome. Yeah, we were we were uh, palling around in GameStop, and every store you go into, I swear to God, there's just so much Avatar merch that's sitting on the shelf. Mm -hmm. uh, we um, there's this... Uh, Breath of the Wild is actually a really good example of this, too, but there's this way of sequencing endings um, that is actually just... 
delicious for, for interactive narrative, which is to say that your final boss fights are like three to four phases, but the only phases that are actual an actual satisfying final test of your skill as a gamer, as a player who has been building on these systems the whole time, because uh, JRPGs expect you to do a lot more preparation than Western games. So like if you play a, a, a six or seven JRPGs and then you play like a Western uh, game from the same time period, in the Western title, you're actually going to end up over over powered about halfway through because you're so fucking used to having to grind and do a ton of preparation in the JRPG because there's a huge skill slope usually around the middle of act two where you're just supposed to know at that point to be like I need to go to every room and fight every fight so you're here you've done all this preparation and if you if you've prepared correctly the fight's not that hard you the jacked fight is the final satisfying conclusion to your gameplay journey it is the final beat of being like I did it the big boss is fucking dead down and then you go to the on rails portion of our evening you are now inside sin and it is time for yuna to summon all of the aeons she's fucking fought so hard to get because they need to get you yevon to possess them and before he powers up too much to become sin again they have to try and kill him. So part two is the satisfying ritualistic conclusion to the core gameplay loop that you've been performing, which is the going and the retrieving of the Aeons. You kill them one by one and you say goodbye to the faith. And then part three of this fight is fucked up tick-looking motherfucker Yu Yevin, just this dark ball of energy with little legs, comes out and you give him an on-rails fight with the help of the faith where you cannot die. And what you are fighting in this one fucking moment is this final culmination of this awful repeated cycle because he knows nothing than the, the fucking will to survive and the will to keep going. And that has been breaking the world for a thousand years. And you finally fucking get him. And then you get the most tragic fucking cutscene you've ever watched in your yeah, life. Yeah, I just, I want to say, like, I'm glad you called it ritualistic because, like, that process of summoning the faith and, like, cutting them down one by one is, like, it's like a sacrament. It, it is truly the most Catholic thing where it's, like, here's the reading, here's the response. Here is, you know, the 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 the, the saint, the, the you know, it is truly, like, the inversion of your, your, your entire journey in a way that feels, like, like a religious experience and like uh i it's it's an incredible incredible moment and i I just love that and then and then you kill god and god is not that strong which is very fun uh and then and then it all you know then you say goodbye you say yuna starts to send you yevon and oran becomes Mm -hmm. collateral Mm -hmm. damage and then he just tells her to keep going. Ooh, I'm mm-hmm. getting emotional just talking about it. He just tells her to keep going because he knows his story is done. And he is the narrative foil to Yu Yevin because Yu Yevin and Seymour and Micah and all those chuckle fucks, they didn't know when to stop. They didn't know when to put the torch done down. Oran has seen fucking enough. His journey is over. He is done. His contemporaries are gone. He knows it's done. And he says, keep going. Whoa. <sighs> 
It's good. It's really it's good. Just the good thing about Oren though is that he does end up babysitting Sora in Kingdom Hearts 2, which is like very funny to me <laughs> that like after all this trauma, he ends up in hate. He ends up in actual Greek hell. <laughs> <laughs> With another uh, yeah, evil like, game. Oh, well, I cannot rest. <laughs> Truly the most put upon man in the history of anime. <laughs> I absolutely 100%. And then you get fucking Tita starting to disappear. There's a point where Yuna can't see him anymore, and he's just like, "Oh my god!" Like he he like puts his arms around her. She can't she can't like she can't tell he's there. And then he just like I think he jumps off the airship. Right? That's yeah. He walks yeah. through her and jumps, but not before he starts leaving and she goes to tackle him and stop him and she mm-hmm. goes right through him and right, falls right. through him. And then he jumps off the airship and the last you see of him uh, for for the moment is him high-fiving Jekt in the, yeah, in the like far plane. Yeah, that's truly like that. that is that is heaven, right? It's like you got your dad's approval and now you're in heaven <laughs> after killing him. Um, yeah, after uh, killing him. I I don't... I don't think I've had a video game give me that experience. Like, I cried harder at Kingdom Hearts 3 when I played it for the first time. Like, but that's that's all nostalgia. That's all, like, childhood shit. Like, I think as a narrative experience, like, it, and, and in a way that the mechanics support the narrative, right? We just talked about the great way that the boss fights all, all play out. Like, I don't, I don't know that there's been a video game that's hit like that for me, like, since. Which is, which is very frustrating because, like, you know... We talk about video games all the time in this podcast. You know, there's there's a ton of great games out there, but like, man, they don't make shit like this no more. That's why RPGs are just so fucking good, though. But I, I think you bringing up Kingdom Hearts is actually uh, Kingdom Hearts three, right? There's that moment where I think. It, I really love the way it's evolved with the tech over the last 20 years because there's a moment where you you kind of keyblade surf and you're you have to call the mechanic <laughs> is call for help and you hit triangle and then you have to keep hitting triangle and what you're doing is you're flinging all these keyblades at the, at kind of the big boss that you're fighting and every keyblade is assigned a username from somebody else on the network who is like also playing Kingdom Hearts 3 so you're calling mm-hmm. upon all it's, the keyblade it's wielders. actually the top like 200 players of who who did union cross yes yeah, so it's not Is people it really? that are online which would be better that's what near automata d- does as well but um yeah it's it's just the people who are uh, really well, really into union cross <laughs> well that's that's how i read it and in the moment yes, that listen, felt really good i don't want to take that away from you um <laughs> i'm so, I'm uh, so well, sorry i'm really keen on for you um <laughs> No, it's okay. Uh, the other game I think gets kind of pretty pretty close to this feeling for me is Breath of the Wild because it does like a similar uh, similar uh, final boss battle sequencing, which is like uh, when you fight uh, Calamity Ganon in the pit. Uh, that is again the the conclusion of your gameplay journey when you fight Calamity Ganon. On the surface, Link pops up, gets a horse. Where'd the horse come from? Doesn't matter. I don't care. Doesn't matter. He'll get Link on his beautiful white horse if you got the white horse, which I did because I'm a gamer. Uh, and uh, he runs around, and the whole the whole mechanic of the battle is Zelda gives you a big fuck off OP bow that can't break. She shows you exactly where to shoot, and then there's this like gorgeous dynamic soundtrack that changes with the phase of the battle. 
And the final phase of the battle is literally Ganon standing there in his big fuck-off beast form. And he shoots a big fuck-off laser. It's super easy to dodge. But what the laser does is it creates an updraft. So Link, while these like violins are cycling through aggressively in the background, everything is red and gold. Link flies up. Ganon opens his big eyeball and you shoot him. Gameplay-wise, super, like, nothing. But with Zelda's narration, the whole, like, um, uh, uh, courage does not need to be remembered because it, is, it has never been forgotten monologue that she does. That, on top of the horse and the wind and the sun and the color. Like, it is this culmination after you've spent the whole game running around and, and you, like, you see Hyrule Castle almost everywhere you go because it's that's how it's laid out at the lowest point of the landscape with everything higher surrounding it. So you're always, always pointed towards the castle. Um, I, like, it's such a satisfying narrative arc. And it, it, it's one of those things where, like, you understand the point of interactive narrative and and what the interaction adds to that. I think I gotta replay Breath of the Wild. Hmm. Speaking of sexy scenes, the oh lead boy. up the lead up to this race where it's like first of all First off. First off. I have never heard such a climactic, dramatic rendition of Gasolina, right? It was the trailer song, but mm -hmm. what they didn't tell me was that my sh fucking seat would shake from the bass as we get this, like, slowed-down, gritty, fucking Gamimas Gasolina! <laughs> like, just the heaviest fucking... I was like, this rules. I think my brother watched me have, like, a physical reaction <laughs> while I was sitting there, like, ah! But also, this is the scene from the trailer where, like, everybody, like, Dom has half the crowd and Dante has half the crowd and they'll point their guns at each other. Mm -hmm. And Dante, like, puts his arms over the guns and he has this, like, pastel uh, purple nail polish that matches his beautiful silk open-chested blouse. And he just, like, strokes the guns a little bit. I Listen, Jason Momoa is one of those people that is objectively attractive, but I, like, I am not very attracted to, like the like really big muscle bound types like it's just right. not i like i like I, i'm attracted to men who i think i could take in a fight basically <laughs> that's <laughs> your my your role. your type is bird core yeah it is so, <laughs> so um and he's just like stroking those guns and in that moment i was like oh my god <laughs> i get it <laughs> i get it